Hello and welcome to the World Resources Institute Big Ideas Into Action podcast. I'm Nicholas Walton and in this special International Women's Day episode, we focus on how women in particular are being impacted by air pollution problems and ask if there are lessons to be learned in making policies more effective simply by recognising gender differences. This experience is not gender neutral and therefore our response to it can't be gender neutral either. But what should the response on air quality be? Certainly any search for solutions needs to make sure that the voices and experiences of women are given more prominence. The whole underrepresentation of women in the decision-making process makes it much more difficult to design solutions. Halo, uh, perkenalkan nama aku Dewi Kaista, aku dari Indonesian Center for Environmental Law atau AISA. Debbie Felita is a researcher at the Indonesian Centre for Environmental Law. She's one of 32 people who filed a lawsuit against the President of Indonesia and other officials, aiming to hold them accountable for failing to secure their right to breathe clean air. Last September, the court ruled in their favour, obliging the government to make decisive steps to control air pollution in Jakarta. Debbie says that she first became aware of just how bad pollution was in Jakarta when trying to take photographs of the sky above, which, she says, was a long way from a clear blue colour. The more she learned about air quality, the more she understood how bad it was in the city, but that there wasn't much information available to her or her fellow citizens. That's why she got involved in fighting for better standards. Debbie is not alone in facing the hazards of air pollution in her everyday life. It's something that affects the health and livelihoods of many millions, and a disproportionate number of those are women. Azra Khan is a specialist in transport and gender at the World Resources Institute, working in India on the Clean Air Catalyst project. That's a global partnership co-led by WRI and the Environmental Defence Fund, aimed at accelerating solutions to air quality problems. My colleague Alice Gottesman asked her if she had examples of how women and girls are impacted by air quality issues more than men. Yes, I think there are a lot of sources of air pollution which impact women disproportionately. I think mostly when we talk about women's exposure, it's largely in terms of indoor air pollution. But if we look beyond indoor air pollution, there are various other sources which impact women differently, more as compared to the male counterparts. A few examples, if you uh, talk about one uh, example is the transport sector. As a result of the different travel choices, made by men and women, the difference in expenditure that uh, men and women make on their daily transport needs, all this puts both men and women at different uh, levels of exposure. In addition to that, I think the occupational disparities in general, like if you talk about a lot of tier two and tier three cities, and for that matter, the larger cities also, uh, a large number of women are employed in factories, in construction work, in street sweeping activities, And this number is more than the males employed in these sectors. So this also puts them at a higher risk of air pollution and exposures. One more example that I'd like to quote, which shows the disparities, uh, is the agricultural production. Now, this could be like a more long-term impact. But as a result of air pollution, agricultural production gets impacted and that leads to food insecurity. And in low-income communities, women are seen to have been bearing the largest burden of 
of this food insecurity across and this is across socioeconomic and geographical context as a result of their inferior social position on a larger scale i think the whole cultural norms which exist in the society the roles and responsibilities the whole power dynamics i think all of this negatively impacts women's access to economic opportunities and as a result of that their access to health facilities also gets impacted if i could share some data points here i think if you look at just the women's involvement in the indoor activities uh, studies have shown that on an average women perform 6 hours of household work on a daily basis as compared to 52 minutes by men so this data shows that how much exposure are women subjected to uh, as a result of the indoor air pollution sources if you look beyond this even in terms of the paid employment that women are doing in construction sites or in street sweeping so women's paid employment if you look at the statistics from india i think it's already among the lowest in the world and it's steadily declining over the years if you look at numbers from like say 2012 or 13 to the very recent numbers it's constantly declining so yeah all this shows that women are disproportionately impacted as compared to men to the different sources of air pollution do we have enough data to know how to address this issue so if you talk in terms of data unfortunately women are largely underrepresented be it the data on exposure or if you talk about their representation in the decision making process at both these levels there's a huge data gap which exists there are only a few sectors where you can actually look at the data and understand that what the difference in exposure levels are so because of these underrepresentation i mean there has been discussions lately on the differences in women's exposure levels but that's mostly confined to indoor air pollution and largely in context of their role as primary caregivers beyond that there's there's a much larger gender data gap i'll just take one example from the transport sector which is one sector where some data is available some evidence is available like for example if you look at the travel choices or the travel patterns of men and women there have been studies from a lot of tier 2 and tier 3 cities which have shown that women spend up to 70% less than their male counterparts on their daily transport needs and this is the point that i was mentioning initially also that how there are disparities as a result of their travel choices within the transport sector now what happens is uh, as a result of their ability to spend less than their male counterparts women especially from lower in- income strata they end up taking more walking trips or they end up depending on what you call the more the more inexpensive or the informal or the intermediate modes of transport as we call it in india these are usually the auto rickshaws or the shared taxis now what happens when women depend more on walking and these informal modes of transport so a study was done uh, in delhi to understand the extent of women's exposure due to their mobility choices and it showed that walking resulted in 40% higher exposure levels and traveling in an auto rickshaw resulted in 30% higher exposure levels as compared to the air conditioned cars or the metro but again the air conditioned cars and metros were only affordable to middle and high income women so the data points show that it's not just women who are disproportionately impacted but the difference is much uh, severe or much appalling if you look at the women who belong to the lower income strata i mean this is one example from the transport sector but if you look at other sources of pollution beyond transport 
or beyond indoor air pollution, there is huge data gap. And not just like the data on exposure to start with, what are the different sources of pollution which impact women differently? So that also needs like a lot of research and data backing to understand that what are these sources and what is the differential impact of these sources on women. And I feel in addition to this data, I think the whole underrepresentation of women in the decision-making process right now makes it much more difficult to design solutions because on one hand, you don't have data to back the differences in the impacts and the health and all. And you don't have a representation in the decision-making process. So yeah, I think work is needed on both fronts, in my opinion. I want to touch a little bit more on that point of women being underrepresented in the decision-making process. Do you have a good example of women stepping up to address the air pollution crisis, specifically in India? There's a fascinating story from a city called Indore, which is closer to my hometown. So I've been following this more closely in terms of how this has progressed. So around 2018 and 19, six women from Indore stepped up and started driving electric rickshaws. Now, all these six women belonged to the lower income strata. They were from different educational backgrounds, different kind of families. They came together and they decided that they needed to step up, improve their economic status and therefore their access to health and other opportunities for their family. And within one year, government recognized their efforts and what this whole stepping up and taking charge was doing for them and for their families. So government recognized this. And in 2020, uh, just before COVID hit us, government provided electric rickshaws to around 100 women in the city. Not just this, they also provided them with trainings, with facilities to get driver's license and all that. So this is one story where a small group of women took charge, stepped up, took steps to improve their economic conditions. I mean, this was quite fascinating for me because it started from a small group of women and then it was recognized by government, by a lot of NGOs, and then it was scaled up. So now more than 100 women have access to electric rickshaws within the city and the the government plans to increase the access for more women. So this has been one of the stories which has been quite fascinating and interesting for me to follow and look at. Because I feel what these type of actions do is it not just empowers women economically, it also puts them in a better place to make decisions for their family, be it related to the health of their kids or the elderly in the family. I think it has much far-reaching impacts than just them stepping up their economic conditions and status. That was Azra Khan, interviewed by Alice Gottesman. You're listening to WRI's Big Ideas Into Action podcast. In this episode, examining the different gender impacts of air pollution around the world. Next to Gillian Caldwell of USAID, which funds the Clean Air Catalyst project. First question to her, what difference would it make to the air quality issue if women were more empowered and had a seat at the decision-making table? The reality is that Climate change impacts women disproportionately. And as our administrator, Samantha Power, likes to say, climate change is sexist, but our response shouldn't be. You know, as we think about air quality, which of course is one of the major uh, health consequences of climate change, all of that global warming pollution in the air, it's women also that bear the brunt. 
They are the ones often inside cooking over stoves, which release greenhouse gases and particulate matter into the air, threatening you know, pulmonary health. They're also often the ones cleaning the streets or on transportation that you know, is compromising their health and capability. So if you have a population that's disproportionately impacted, you also have a population that's really on the front lines of understanding the nature of the problem and that is well positioned both to advise and implement on the solution. It makes no sense to design a solution to a problem without keeping your core audience in mind and without embracing them as, as key drivers for change. How have you learned to do this at USAID? How have you learned to integrate the gender dimension into questions of air pollution? One of the programs, which of course WRI and the Environmental Defense Fund, as well as a range of local actors are engaged in with USAID, is the new Clean Air Catalyst Program, which is really looking uh, in three different countries to identify, to pinpoint the sources of pollution that's driving negative health consequences for women and others. And um, we're really looking in the context of that program to increase opportunities and professional training for women, for example, women as atmospheric scientists, and to position them as policymakers in decision-making forum. Just by way of example, Clean Air Catalyst conducted an information ecosystems analysis in the pilot cities to identify potential gender differences in how individuals obtain information and their relative access to um, sources. So the idea is to use this data to better target messaging on air pollution to women and and other vulnerable groups. Can I just follow you up on that, Gillian, and, and, and just ask where this actual extra data really uh, changed the perceptions or changed the way that a policy that USAID was prosecuting was, was, was going to work? Have, have you got any examples at the top of your mind? Clean Hair Catalyst is a brand new program, so it's too early to say what the impacts are going to be. You know, I do have several other examples of instances where we're really paving the way for women to engage. You know, with our engineering uh, engendering industries program, for example, we're working with 100 companies in 38 countries worldwide, connecting women to technical and leadership roles at utilities that are, of course, increasingly delivering clean energy and water. And through that program, you know, thousands of women have been promoted and trained on the technical and foundational skills to advance their careers. In another such example, again, focused on the kind of vocational and professional training to move women into the opportunities of the future, we're working with Servere, which is our partnership with NASA to build the resilience of women farmers in Kenya to climate change. Um, And that's all about designing a gender responsive index-based agricultural insurance. So, you know, that helps improve the resilience of women, many of whom are the leaders of agriculture at at a local level to climate shocks and reduce extreme poverty. On the more systemic level, you know, the, the kind of top level policymakers, the ones that, that pull those big levers, how can we get policymakers to sit up and take note of, of, of some of these issues and, and just the importance of, of this gender dynamic? And obviously, air pollution itself is something that is only just being acknowledged as something that really makes a difference. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's first and foremost a, a question of really helping people understand the very gendered dimensions of problems like air pollution and climate change so that they can understand you know, th- this experience is not gender neutral and therefore our response to it can't be gender neutral either. We have this other program at USAID called Gender Equity and Equality Action, or GIA, which is contributing $14 million to climate programs specifically focused on empowering women and girls. And that includes investments in integrating gender equality into clean air programs like the Clean Air Catalyst. I think that's just what, one example of the ways in which we can really position women to lead in the policymaking terrain. Just one very final little question, Gillian, and that is, are you optimistic that this is being taken note of? Or do you think that this is one of those doors that you'll just have to keep pushing against for a while before people really understand what's going on? Well, the truth is that, you know, we're we're at a pivotal point in terms of women at a global scale. And, and unfortunately, COVID has really undermined many of the gains that women had made. Um, in employment, for example, um, when COVID hit, it was women that were impacted disproportionately because, of course, the burden of childcare falls primarily on women. So when it comes to making sacrifices to support children at home, um, you know, many women actually had to leave their jobs, and it's been several years now. And of course, you know, the other challenge is that COVID and climate change also have increased gender-based violence in the home as you know the economic strain increases and as more and more people find themselves in kind of close and maybe even claustrophobic conditions at home. Those tensions tend to rise. So it's, I think, a delicate moment after you know making some steady progress. We still have a very long way to go at a global level to recognizing the discrimination and the policies and life experience that women face. And likewise, in getting more uh, women as representatives leading countries and parliaments and legislatures, we just, you know, we do have a long way to go. But I, you know, I think the arc of history is bending in the right direction when it comes to women. And, you know, we just need to keep pushing forward. And it's exciting that the UN Commission on the Status of Women coming up soon is taking a specific focus on climate change and um, women as leaders in the context of the climate crisis. And that was Gillian Caldwell of USAID. You can find out more about this subject at cleanaircatalyst.org or on our own website, wri.org. You can find out more on the gender elements of the environmental and development challenges that we face in WRI's Equity Centre work and more of our podcasts at wri.org podcasts. And you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. I'm Nicholas Walton. Thanks for listening.